New Harlem's contribution to the Jazz Note album Australian Jazz of the 70s, Volume 1, was well received. And soon the band's first trip interstate was planned. Who walks in when I walk out? Who gives you that hearty high? Baby, who's that who I'm talking about? You're listening to episode three of the podcast, Who Walks In? The Story of the New Harlem Jazz Band. My name's Bill Morris. the band travelled to Hobart. The trip organised by Peter Hicks from the Hobart Jazz Club was their first opportunity to play outside Victoria. A recording session was organised at the ABC studios in Hobart. This tune, Somerset, co-written by Akabilk, was part of the band's repertoire at the time. Bilk's version reached number five on the UK charts. Hugh Gallington's Steve It or Stomp was another tune recorded at that session. Clarinetist Ian Fleming had a young family and was building a career in the scales industry. Unfortunately for the band, not the musical kind. He found the increasing number of music jobs difficult to manage. At one stage, the band was playing three nights a week at the Botanical Hotel in South Yarra. Ian couldn't commit to this much work and left the band. Fill-in reed players were used for a time until Bob Gilbert, who had recently returned from a few years overseas, was asked to join. Tuba player and leader of the Total Fire Band, Jeff Thompson, first met Bob in the early 60s at a jazz dance where Melbourne's Crescent City Jazz Band were playing. Soon, they both joined that band and became good friends. After a couple of years, the Crescent City Jazz Band folded. By that stage, though, we were both uh, playing intermittently with um, Owen Yateman uh, from Torquay and doing uh, doing odd gigs uh, with him. 
uh, playing at the Torquay, Torquay pub on Sunday afternoons during the summer. Then we, we met Peter Stagg and he had uh, a band called the Chicagoans. So we, we joined up and we both played with him for a while. It was um, generally a seven or eight piece band. Fortunately, Bob agreed to join New Harlem. His musicality and easygoing nature made him a much-loved member of the band. Look, he was just a natural, uh, probably the most natural musician I've um, I've experienced. Um, it just um, he didn't need structure. Uh, the whole the whole thing was just uh, uh, he just exuded music poured out of him. During 1974, the band was occasionally asked to fill in for the Yarra Yarra Jazz Band or Frank Trainer's Jazz Preachers at their regular gigs at the Old Melbourne Motor Inn. Quite a few local musicians used to attend and there were always sit-ins. We've had a request for tune called Ice Cream. And furthermore, we have Mr Patrick Miller on tenor sax and Mr Sandro Donati on trumpet.
As the band started to get even more work, Chris Farley was finding the pressure of late nights making music and early starts in the printing industry wasn't working for him. He decided to quit the band. His replacement was Cam Crofts. Cam's parents liked a wide variety of music, so there was always music playing when he was growing up. At Melbourne University, he enjoyed listening to music in the Union Coffee Lounge. Mabel's Dream Jazz Band was one of the bands he heard, and he thought, I've got to play this stuff. He decided to take up the banjo and took lessons at the Victorian Banjo Club. Soon, with other students, a band was formed that included Margie Lou Dyer on the piano. By this stage, the Victorian Jazz Club was presenting live jazz at two venues, the Manor House Hotel in the city and the Esplanade Hotel in St Kilda. New Harlem performed at both. Thank you, we'd like to play a lovely old Shirley Temple from the club. The Cusky Stores. On Saturday, December 21st, 1974, the band played to a packed house for the Christmas breakup of the Jazz Club at the Manor House Hotel. Liquor laws at the time dictated that after 10pm, patrons had to purchase drinks from a waitress instead of directly across the bar, and food had to accompany drinking. The Manor House Hotel followed the letter of the law by distributing crackers, cubes of cheap cheese, some limp lettuce and a piece of tomato on paper plates. A slender piece of wood was set up in front of the bar, behind which stood the waitress, who took orders, which she relayed to the staff behind the bar. They poured the drinks and the waitress passed the drinks to the waiting throng. On this night, a well-dressed Englishman who had recently joined the Victorian Jazz Club was in the crowd. He certainly wouldn't have joined the VJC using his real name. His membership card would have been for Clive Mildoon, the alias he used when entering Australia a few days earlier. He was a jazz fan and he enjoyed time on the crowded dance floor with a number of young women, including some of the band's partners. We don't know what Clive thought of the sumptuous supper provided, but a few days later, on Boxing Day, his true identity was revealed on the front page of the Age newspaper. He was British politician John Stonehouse, presumed drowned in Miami a month earlier. He faked his own death and had been living in Melbourne before his arrest a few days after his night dancing to New Harlem. 
During the following week, New Harlem performed at the 29th Australian Jazz Convention, held at the Dorset Gardens Hotel, a big hotel complex located in Croydon, 30 kilometres from Melbourne's CBD. Trumpeter Clark Terry was a guest performer at this convention. Terry had been a member of the Count Basie Orchestra in the late 40s and the Duke Ellington Orchestra throughout the 50s, a mentor to the likes of Miles Davis and Quincy Jones. He was a big star, and so it was a thrill for New Harlem to be on the bill of the convention public concert, held at the Dallas Brooks Hall on Saturday, December 28th. The Storyville Jasmine, Frank Trainer's Jazz Preachers and the Alan Lee Quartet also played. A review in the following Monday's Age newspaper by Carolyn Swan, under the headline, Terry Concert Was a Night to Remember, described it as a four-hour concert that nearly brought down the walls of Dallas Brooks Hall. She wrote, The New Harlem Jazz Band, led by trumpeter Ian Smith, president of the convention, got the concert off to a racy start, with some Ellington tunes, a foot-stomping version of Look What I've Done, Louis Armstrong's Once in a While, and Tubers in the Moonlight. New Harlem's spirited performance, that included a high-octane rendition of Look What I've Got, not Look What I've Done, was certainly well received. This uh, next tune is a Lou Stone tune entitled Look What I've Got. Late in January 1975, the band played at the Sunbury Music Festival. 
not on the main stage with Renee Geyer, Daddy Cool and Skyhooks, but on a smaller stage set up for mime, poetry and acoustic music. This was the fourth and final Sunbury Festival and it made a terminal loss. Most of the local acts weren't paid, but UK band Deep Purple were paid $60,000. In 1976, the Musicians' Union was able to convince Deep Purple, who were planning to tour Australia, to put money into a fund that led to all the Australian acts being paid, including New Harlem. By the middle of 1975, the band was playing regularly and made a short but successful trip to play in Adelaide. They were becoming popular with patrons at the two Victorian jazz club venues, always drawing a good crowd. This is the band playing She's Crying For Me Blues at the Esplanade Hotel in July 1975. In 1975, the Age newspaper ran an appeal to raise money to improve facilities at Kew Cottages, especially for the children with intellectual disabilities who lived there. As well as raising a significant amount of money, the campaign raised awareness in the community regarding the conditions in which the children were housed. The institution was finally closed 
in 2008. The appeal received widespread support and the many events were given significant publicity in the age. Along with the Storyville Band and Roger Bell's Pagan Pipers, New Harlem appeared at a jazz concert organised by the Warrandyte Lions Club, which was held at the Kew Civic Centre. Caroline Swan wrote in The Age, The New Harlem got the concert off to a thumping start. Highlights of their performance included Who Walks In When I Walk Out and Tubers in the Moonlight. Cam Crofts made some life-size palm trees to adorn the stage. And much to my surprise, and the audience's delight, Hula girls danced across behind the band during Tubers in the Moonlight. Through the moonlight I can hear the humming of a melancholy tune. Ah, the memories that still linger I thank you, Mr. Moon And although I never smile Winter, summer, autumn too Now here's one tune to remind me Why I feel so blue Tubers in the moonlight Playing for me all night Tell me what I want to hear Am I only dreaming? Am I only scheming? Stars above me Shining brightly Why can't she be Sitting there beside me Tubers in the moonlight Will bring my loved one home piano stool became vacant after Doug Rawson decided to leave, after six years playing with the band. His replacement was Neil Orchard. Neil grew up in a musical family in Tirrandurra, not far from Portland on Victoria's southwest coast. 
he went to nearby Narrawong Primary School. My father and uncles had a band called the Melody Makers and my dad played trumpet and, uh, and was sort of jazz-oriented. When I was about seven, I was coerced into learning the piano from Mrs Oberhuber, who was the, the music teacher in Narrawong. And um, as a result of that, I learned classical piano. And that's about it. Did you enjoy playing the piano? No. But when I was at high school, we formed a band called, I don't know whether they had a name or not, but there was five of us and we, we called ourselves a jazz band, but I don't think we ever played jazz. Neil went to Monash University where he met other students and staff who played at lunchtime jam sessions. In 1970, he became a member of the Limehouse Band, a band that took a refreshing, light-hearted approach to the music they played, much of it written and arranged by leader Alan Stott. Neil's ability to play piano, guitar and banjo, and his interest in jazz and Irish folk music, meant he fitted in easily. He was in the band when they recorded their only album for the East label. In the cover notes to the album, Bill Horton describes the prime qualities of Limehouse as their exuberance and humour at the expense of trite slickness. The self-titled album is certainly a wonderful collection. Neil still remembers one of his many contributions, the introduction to Titus Groan. High silver moon upon the battlement, Gormengast should a dim liquor under cluder. High silver moon upon the battlement, Gormengast should a dim under cluder. Draw cree and raka a high sepulchre. Sperta! Bruna spala! Eka sperta! But live a in a hair man, man, he clepped, Titus groan. Neil and Brent Davey wrote Nifty Ned, described as a larger-than-life potted history of a mid-60s folk muso. Neil played the jug on that one. Yeah. 
Soon after Neil Orchard joined, the band started work on recording a new album. Ian suggested Adelaide trumpeter Alex Frame should be included on some tracks. The band had heard Alex play earlier in the year. We were taken over to Adelaide as, uh, as a featured band for the jazz club. And uh, while we were there, we heard Alex play. I thought, gee whiz, you know, I don't know if I asked him at the time. I might have run it past the guys in the band while we were there, you know. The actual recording itself, I was reasonably pleased with that. Um, there's some nice stuff on it. Um, you know, we do Jackass Blues, we do with Alex.
Alex's on six tracks of the something, I think, and we did Watch Em Call and Blues. Oh, at the Codfish Ball. One of the things about that is the key change at the end, where I was really struggling to get the trumpet to work. I mean, we've gone from A flat to B flat, which is up a tone, and by then my chops are really, I'm going. So, the vocal on At the Codfish Ball is overdubbed on the last chorus. And the other thing about that is, we had two goes at the recording session because the first, the first stuff we recorded, I took it along to Neville Sherburne to see if he would issue it at Swaggy. And he, he had a listen and he went, no, not good enough. And he made a few observations and I sort of scratched my head. I was a bit disappointed. I thought, he's probably right. And we went and had another go at the recording session and, and this, the second lot of stuff, we, the Alex Frame stuff, obviously must have come from the first session. But the second session, we re-recorded, uh, you know, some of the things and I can't even remember what, 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 um, what Neville rejected or what he thought was not good enough. All the sessions took place at Rambler Studios in Mount Eliza. The 14 tracks recorded included Ellington's The Mooch, Richard Opat singing Jollity Farm, and Ian singing Accordion Joe. The tracks with Alex included Hoagie Carmichael's Rockin' Chair, sung by Ian, with Alex taking the lead on trumpet. I see 
rocking chair's got me Judgment day is here And I'm chained to my old rocking chair In the end, the band opted to release the album on the Jazznote label. Their albums were funded by a system where shares were taken out by band members and others who later received dividends on sales. So the band was looking forward to getting a pressing to sell, to quickly recoup the recording costs and the cost of their shares in the project. You've been listening to episode three of Who Walks In, the story of the new Harlem jazz band. In the next episode, you'll hear how the release of the new record is far from smooth sailing. Who gives you that hearty high, baby? Who's that who I'm talking about? You can learn more about the band and contact us at whowalksin.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. This has been a Wasting Time production. <laughs>